Thank you. You may be seated. Let's open God's Word to Isaiah chapter 6, if you would. And I plan, if it be the Lord's will, to return back to, Isaiah, to Ephesians 6 next week, where we left off considering the need of praying. But uh, I just felt led of the Lord, considering our present circumstances as a nation, to go to this portion of Scripture. I imagine many ministers will be looking at this chapter today. Maybe I'm wrong, but I imagine that they will. What a parallel. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. The real problem in Israel, the real problem in Judah, was not the death of their king. The real problem was the death of a proper view of God. That was the real problem. And the real problem in our nation today, I do not at all mean to be disrespectful. I give thanks to the Lord for our queen, how she has reigned, the things that she has said. Of course, there are probably always things we would disagree with, but there are many things that she said that I give thanks to the Lord for. But the real problem today is not the death of our queen. The real problem today is the death of a proper view of God in this nation. It was devastating to the nation of Israel, to Judah, that they could no longer see their king. But I wonder, did it bother them that they could no longer see the Lord? Does it bother you this morning that you aren't as close to God as you used to be? Does it bother you today that you cannot hear Him as clearly as you once did? That you just cannot seem to find Him like you did before? Are you more grieved over the loss of an earthly monarch than you are about the loss of a heavenly king in your own heart? What our nation needs today is a fresh view of God, a fresh vision of the Lord. That's what our nation needs. It's not a new monarch that we're in need of. It's a new vision of God that we need. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. This is our new verse this year. From this moment forward, this is our new verse as a church. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. This is our prayer that we might also see the Lord. A fresh view of God, a fresh vision of God changes everything. Everything. My pastor used to say the clearer our vision of God the clearer everything else will become. The more clearly we see Him as we ought to, then the more clearly we will see this world. We will see our circumstances. We will see the way that we should go. But if you neglect that one thing, if we do not see God the way we ought to see Him, then we'll never see this life, this world, the way that we should. Everything in life proceeds out of our vision of God. 
Can I ask you this morning, would you look this way, how do you see God? How do you view Him? Do you have a high view of God or a low view of God? Here's what I mean. Is your God a big God? Or is He a little God? You say, that's blasphemous to even suggest it. Yes, but often that's the way we live. We read verses that say, is there anything too hard for God? We love the scriptures that say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. That there's nothing impossible for God. We know the verses, but do you see God as an almighty, good, great God? Would you understand what I mean if I say, that most Christians see God as a disinterested or distracted God? Do you know what I mean? Most people who call themselves Christians today think that God is somewhere up in heaven doing His own thing, totally disinterested in what's happening down here. And therefore, in their own mind, in their own opinion, although they'd never say it, they really view God as quite powerless. We don't see him the way that we should see him. I want you to look with me at this chapter and how, what did Isaiah see? God gave us this vision to show us what we should see. Do you know most of us are so distracted that we never even think about seeing God? We never even think about looking unto the Lord. We're so distracted with work and with family and now the death of our queen and, and we're so worried about the new king and all of his policies and all of his involvement with, with the liberal societies of the world. We're so concerned, so concerned that we don't even think to lift our eyes a little higher. Look what the scriptures say. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also... The Lord sitting upon the throne. Yes, I saw that the monarch, the king had died, but I saw something else as well. Do you? Now it needs to be said, while everyone else was looking at King Uzziah's empty throne, Isaiah was looking at another throne. A throne that has never been empty and never will be empty. Kings come and go, and queens come and go. Presidents and prime ministers come and go. But our God is always the same. At this moment in our nation's history, we must lift up our eyes unto the hills from whence cometh our help. We must not be looking at the palaces of man. Oh, we're doomed, people are saying. Charles is the most liberal. He's going to be the most liberal monarch this country has ever had. His involvement and in, in his associations with some of these world organizations, we are finished. Stop. Stop. Lift your eyes a little higher than the throne of this nation. And look a little higher 
to the throne of heaven. We read this morning at the beginning of this meeting, Psalm chapter 47. It's an amazing hymn, psalm, or sung as a hymn, as a psalm. All through the scriptures we find expressions about God being a king. We find verses about God sitting on his throne. Now these verses are to remind us that God is not some benevolent grandfather who's getting older and forgetting what's happening down here and not really concerned. No, no, our God is a reigning king, actively reigning. Let me give you a few verses. Psalm 45, verses 1 to 6. Listen to this. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. The throne of God is forever. Do you know that God has no successor? There's never going to be a time when God dies and somebody else takes his place. Friedrich Nietzsche thought that he was making some bold statement back in the 18th century. And he coined the phrase that would become popular amongst humanists and free thinkers. He said, God is dead and reason is enthroned. Well, Nietzsche is dead, but God is still alive. And uh, he's still on the throne. It's amazing how men think themselves to be greater than God. The infidel Voltaire was determined to see the word of God. In fact, he declared that within 50 years of his death, you would never be able to find a Bible except in a museum because Christianity was going out the door. It's interesting, not long after Voltaire died, his house was turned into a Bible distribution center. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Within 50 years of my death, you'll never be able to find a Bible. And there is house now is sending Bibles all over the world. Amazing. Because God's throne is forever. It'll never be stopped. It'll never be vacant. We read Psalm 47 a moment ago. I won't read the entire thing again, but verse 7 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. God is King over all. He's not just King over the church. He's not just king over Christians. He's king over all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything inside of it. Amen. He says there God sits on a throne of holiness. His, his throne is holy. There's no scandal with God's throne. There's no corruption with His throne. People grumbling and murmuring about Charles and, and grumbling and murmuring. No. Wherever there's man, there'll be scandal, there'll be corruption. But the throne of God is holy. The Bible says in Psalm 89, in verse number 4, 
Psalm chapter 89, pardon me, verse number 14. I'll read it here as soon as I find it. The scriptures say, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Justice and judgment. He judges correctly and exactly. We think this world's cruel. So many terrible things. People are getting away with so many. No, no. Don't you forget, God has a throne of justice and judgment. And in the same verse, it says, mercy and truth shall go before his face. What a combination. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 tells us his throne is a throne of grace. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says it's a great white throne. A great throne, a pure throne. God is still on his throne. And the prophet Isaiah, the year that the queen died, his eyes lifted up and he saw the Lord. Now watch this. He saw the Lord. That's the word Adonai. It means sovereign master. It doesn't say he saw Jehovah. But he saw Adonai, the Lord Jesus Christ. So come on, that's a bit of a stretch. John chapter 12 confirms that. Just in case you're wondering, John 12, the Lord Jesus is speaking and people were rejecting him and they did not believe. The Bible says in John chapter 12 and verse number 35, Jesus said, Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm, hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah... Isaiah had said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things, watch this, said Isaiah when he saw his glory. Isaiah chapter 6. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Jesus. Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus. Seated upon the throne, high and lifted up. I wonder this morning, do you have a high view of our Lord? Look what else he saw. He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Let's stop for a moment. Throne indicating authority. Throne indicating kingship. High and lifted up, higher than all. He's the king of kings. I've told you before in the Hebrew language, they don't say he's the greatest king. Their, their way of describing the greatest is by saying king of kings, Lord of lords. Song of Solomon wrote the song of songs. So we get the idea. But then the Bible says his train filled the temple. Now this isn't talking about Thomas the choo-choo train. His train was a reference to the robe, the flowing trail or train of his robe and the longer one's robe train was the greater his glory and power oftentimes at a wedding you'll see a bride with a very long dress a long train 
following behind her. And sometimes ladies get really excited and they want their train, they're, they're, they're dressed to go from here to the very back because it's a symbol of beauty. It's a symbol of purity. It says so much. And so it was with this robe of God, with the robe of a king. And the Bible says his train filled the temple. Now visualize that. His robe filled the temple. Imagine this being the temple. You couldn't even get in. What was this train? What was this robe? Well, it was an expression of his glory. That's what it is. We know that because the seraph and the angels say in verse number 3, they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I want you to stop for a moment. Here is what we should see. If we get a proper view of God, we'll see him high and lifted up, king of kings and lord of lords, but we'll also see his glory. We will see him as glorious king. And the Bible says his glory, the expression of his glory, filled the temple. Or you could say, filled the church, his kingdom. Now, I have to stop for a moment. A robe being the visible manifestation of his glory, filling the temple. This is what Isaiah saw, the glory of God filling the church. The question this morning is, do we see the glory of God filling the church? Would you look here for a moment? I don't think so. I don't think so. And the reason we're not seeing the glory of God filling the church is because we're not looking to Him. We're looking everywhere else and worried about everything else. We're not even thinking about our great majestic God. We're not thinking about His glory. But His glory should fill the church, and it will. His glory will and therefore it can fill the church. I love this because it goes further. His glory didn't just fill the church, but when Isaiah saw God the way he should, he saw his glory filling the temple, but he also saw his glory filling the whole earth. That's coming. That is coming. His glory shall fill the whole earth, and the whole earth shall see it. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We'll see that. It's coming. But can I just say today that this is the vision we need. But we will never see the glory of the Lord filling the earth until we see the glory of the Lord filling the church. And We'll never see the glory of God filling the church until we see it filling you and me individually. Until you and I fall to our knees before Him. Until you and I see Him as we should. And then in the church, in the body, as we all collectively see God the way we should, and we have a fresh vision of God, then the church will be filled with His glory. And then the city will be filled with His glory. And then the nation will be filled with His glory. And the whole earth will be filled. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Part of his kingdom coming is a filling of the whole earth with his glory. The Bible says, above it, above the throne stood the seraphim. Verse number two. What else? When we get a clear vision of God, a new vision of God, what else? We'll see him high and lifted up. We'll see his glory filling our hearts and filling the church and filling the whole earth. And then we will see, look what it says, I love this. Above it stood the seraphim. Seraphim literally means burners. Psalm chapter 104 speaks about these creatures. Psalm 104, let me read it for you. In verse number 4, Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. Now pardon my spiritual imagination. I do not want to over-spiritualize the text. But if we are his servants, and if we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then surely we ought to pray that we would be made ministers of a flaming fire. That we would serve Him the same way the seraphim are serving Him now above the throne. And so by getting a clearer vision of God, we see how we ought to be serving Him by looking at those who are hovering around Him now. So look at it. Look at it with me. These angels saw the Lord as they should see Him. And therefore, they show us what our response should be as His servants. Look at what it says. These seraphim, by name, these burners, they burned in love for God. Would you look here? Are you burning with a passion for God? Do you love Him more than you love anyone or anything else? This is the way we ought to burn. Do we burn in zeal for His glory? That we desire to see the temple filled with His glory? That we desire to see the church filled with His glory? Do we burn in purity against sin? You remember in verse number 7? One of them picked up a a coal from off of the altar and he laid it upon Isaiah's mouth and said, This has touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. He burned with a desire to see sin purged. We learn from them. But the Bible says something interesting. Each one of them had six wings. I read a beautiful book by Roy Hessian many years ago. When I saw him, or I saw the Lord, I think it's called. Six wings these angels had with two. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And our first thought is usually, well, God is so holy that these creatures cannot look upon him. And so we do learn a very valuable lesson with that thought. We learn a lesson of humility. We recognize that as servants, when we see God as we should, we recognize he is holy, not me. He is almighty. He's the king, not me. Sometimes we're so, we like to manipulate things, don't we? We like to be the king. We want to be the king and the master of our own destinies and king of our own life. And every man wants to make his house his own palace and he wants to be his own king. But when we see God as we should, we humbly hide ourselves. A right 
vision of God brings humility. I can't help but think about, about that little story we read of, of those two men who went down to the temple. Jesus told the parable. Two men went down to the temple to pray. One man was an arrogant, proud, religious man, and he said, I thank God I'm not like other men, like this fellow over here. I pay my tithes, and I do this, and I... And he prayed thus unto the Lord. But the other man was a publican, a sinner. And the Bible says he would not even lift up his eyes. These seraphim covered their faces. You see, when we get a clearer vision of God, we're humbled. We're humbled. With two wings, they covered their face. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they did fly. I want you to hear this for just a second. A proper vision of God brings the kind of humility that says, I don't want to be seen anymore. Two-thirds of their energy Four out of their six wings were given to hiding themselves. Did you hear that? Two-thirds of their energy was given to hiding. Why? Because they were reverent, of course. But maybe it was because they wanted people not to look at them as they hovered above the throne, as they served the King of Kings. But instead, they wanted people to see the Lord high and lifted up. I think sometimes we've got it backwards, don't we? Sometimes we give the most energy and effort to being seen as we labor. We want people to see us as we preach or as we teach or as we do this or as we do that. But they gave such effort to hiding themselves so that no one would be seen but God. I don't want to be seen. Don't look at me. Look at him. Hide me, Lord. Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Meaning, unless you plant a corn of wheat into the ground so you cannot see it any longer, only then will it bring forth fruit. If we want fruitfulness to the glory of God, we must be hidden in Christ so that every eye shall behold Him. A right view of God brings reverence. In Revelation chapter 1, John saw the Lord. I love this, this portion. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. There's a lot of people who have a, a lot of silly things to say. I had a dream last night and I went up to heaven and, and there me and Jesus talked. He put his arm around me. I was shaving my face and we had a chat and one person thinks they went to heaven and were on a roller coaster up there with Jesus. Just nonsense. When John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as dead. Reverence. A proper view of God changes everything. A right vision of God changes everything. And they cried. Holy, holy, holy. They cried unto one another. Look here. Christian, brother, sister. 
They cried as they ministered, as they served the king upon his throne. They cried to one another. They reminded each other over and over and over, God is holy. He is holy. He is thrice holy, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And as they ministered, as they flew, as they served, as they preached, as they taught whatever your service is, they were reminding one another constantly, He's holy. Our God is holy. Want to one another? Sometimes it's good to sing to one another, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible says in verse 4, the post of the door moved. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Someone said even the doors move at the presence of God. Surely our hearts would be moved at his presence. I'm going to stop in just a moment and pick up perhaps tonight from this text. But I'm convinced that if we want to see the blessing of God in this land, we must get back to our new, fresh, right vision of God. It's not a new vision but a fresh one. It's the same vision that Isaiah saw. It'll be the same vision that the saints through the ages have seen. But it'll be fresh and maybe new to you. How do you see him? There was a minister who used to train seminary students in a previous generation. And he had a practice of going and listening to his students once. In, in one time of listening to their sermon, he would be able to determine whether or not they had a high view of God or a low view of God. He went to listen to one of his students, and in the middle of his sermon, he walked out. The student was horrified. He found him afterwards. He said, did I say something wrong? He said, no. I knew enough in the first few moments to know that you have a high view of God. That's all I need to know. If you have a high vision of God, everything else will be fine. But if we bring God down to our level, if we bring Him and make Him like us, oh, He's okay. He doesn't care. Come on, lighten up. If we make God into an image like unto man, rather than recognizing that man has been made in the image of God, if we get it wrong, we'll be in trouble. But if we have a right vision of God, everything else will be okay. How do you see him? High and lifted up? May the Lord help us to hide ourselves and to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He's sovereign. There's nothing too hard for him. He's almighty. He's still on the throne. So don't hang your head in defeat. 
He's alive. Let's pray together and we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we acknowledge thee to be the only true King of kings and Lord of lords. And truly thy throne is above all thrones. And there is none like thee, never has been, never will be. And we praise thee. And we ask of thee, Lord, please pull back the veil so that we might see a little more clearly. That we might have a fresh vision of thee. That we might understand thee as we ought to. And we might respond appropriately. Oh, God, help us. In the year that our queen has died, help us to see also the Lord sitting upon his throne. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name.